0: You're listening to the Davenport Junior Theater Podcast. Welcome back to the Davenport Junior Theater Podcast, where we explore the past, understand the present, and dream of the future. Today with me, I have Ben Gujan. Welcome to the show, Ben.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what your position at DJT is?
1: Yeah, Uh, my name is Ben Gujan, and I am the artistic director and theater coordinator at djt Um, and so artistic director obviously i'm in charge of all the main stage shows of our main stage company and then as theater coordinator i'm in charge of coordinating all of our theater classes on the parks and rec side
0: great so how did you end up in the quad cities and here at junior theater and what were you doing before
1: well that's a that's a Kind of a crazy, weird story. Uh, I had actually the last, the previous 11 years I had been living in New York, working mostly as an actor um, and was going through uh, just, it it was weird. I had what was the, the best year career wise of my life in terms of my acting career, but just wasn't finding myself fulfilled by it at all. Um, And my partner's here in the Quad Cities, and so was kind of evaluating whether I wanted to stay in the city or not, and we were talking about having a family, so I decided to make the move and come out here and kind of take that leap of faith. And I saw a position for an instructor at DJT Mm -hmm. to just teach some classes, and so I flew out for like a, you know, quick overnight flight to interview for that job. And then got that job and moved out here about a month later. And then I moved out here and our previous theater coordinator, Steph DeLacy, was stepping down. Mm -hmm. So applied for and got that job. And then Daniel announced that he was stepping away from being the artistic director and applied for and got that. So it was... Kind of a very serendipitous sort of mm-hmm. sort of turn of events, but it's been it's been great I've loved it
0: and you've been here for a little bit over a year now in yeah. various roles, so can you tell me a little bit about what that's been like and how it's been going
1: sure uh, i mean it's it's such a weird time where everything kind of feels like it's centered around the pandemic and mm-hmm. how how you're responding to that so you know, my fr- I took over as theater coordinator last October, um, and kind of saw that session through of classes, and then started like my first full session as theater coordinator in January, which was ended up being being cut short by mm-hmm. by COVID. So. I was really only on the job about five months when pretty much every facet of the job changed Mm -hmm. As, as far as what we do as DJT and what we produce. So it's been a lot of making adjustments on the fly and just trying to accept, okay, these are the parameters that we're working with now. How can we still create experiences for our students that are going to be viable in the new world.
0: Mm-hmm. It's my understanding that for the first time ever, artistic director and performing arts supervisor are now two separate jobs, with you being the artistic director and Daniel being performing arts supervisor. Um, can you yeah. talk about what that's been like, and do you think there are advantages to these roles being split now?
1: Well, it's. I mean, it's been great having Daniel around as just a, an ear to bounce ideas off of, um, because he does have... You know, I think he's been here for 12 years mm-hmm. uh, in that role. So it's been great to be able to to lean on his experience um, and also having, you know, Chris Meyer and Zach Meyer who have been here for, you know, Chris has been here since she was a kid right? Um, and same with Zach to, to be able to lean on them so that anything we're doing isn't deviating from what the core of Davenport junior theater is, Mm -hmm. um, you know, as far as them being different jobs, I don't really know because I never saw it (laughs) didn't really see it another way. Um, but it's, you know, I I think it just speaks to the growth that Daniel has, has allowed DJT to have, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know, just the way that the program has grown under his leadership, and the way he's been able to expand all of our programming necessitated the need for another person mm-hmm. um, and for those jobs to be split so I feel very very honored and humbled to to step into those shoes, and they're big shoes yeah. to fill. Daniel's done a great job, so. Mm-hmm.
0: So you are the artistic director during a challenging time for theater. So what has it been like during this crazy year?
1: You know, it's, it's really just been about the, the thing that I've kind of two tenets that I've tried to, to guide us is one, allowing ourselves to be adaptable and flexible <laughs> and forgiving of ourselves, you know, there, there there aren't perfect solutions right now to anything. Mm-hmm. So acknowledging that and then just kind of moving with what, what's before you and playing the cards you're dealt. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also trying to really lean into what we have because it's very easy, I think, to say, oh, we can't do theater, we can't do the shows the way we want to do them, um, and get really down about that, rather than trying to approach everything from a, uh, I kind of came up with a saying this summer for myself of, Zoom is a tool, not a roadblock. Um, And so leaning into that, and rather than seeing it as all the things we can't do, what are the things we can do? And embracing... The medium and the the technology and trying to push the boundaries of what we do with that
0: okay so speaking of zoom being a tool you um were in charge of the first virtual main stage and i'm sure that had a lot of you know challenges so what w- what was that like and what was it like to you know bring it to fruition and complete it
1: yeah it was it really ended up being a great experience i think for everyone obviously you know you're coming up with a whole new delivery method of your product like at the end of the day we're still producing a a product some type of show it's just on a different medium uh we can't have an audience in so we had to figure out how do we distribute this to our audience um you know we had to lean a lot on our our families and our parents because Before, you know, they were able to just drop their kids off at the theater and we took care of everything else. But for the virtual shows, we, you know, we provided all the kids with green screens and we sent props home with them and costumes home with them. Um, But then it was kind of on our families to set those green screens up and make sure they were using their props and wearing their costumes correctly. Um, So they had a lot more responsibility in that and we couldn't have done that without them. And on our end, it was just figuring out, you know, DJT has been around for so long and there are just systems in place and the way things are done. And a lot of those things weren't directly applicable to, to doing a virtual show. So we had to figure out, you know, things like normally a costume fitting would happen at the first or measurements costume measurements would happen at the first rehearsal. All the kids come in, they get measured, but you know, suddenly it's like, well, we, we can't do that. So we need to figure out how do we get our kids measured at home? So Chris Mm -hmm. Meyer made a video to send home and then we had the kids, you know, their parents measure them at home. Um, And we're still figuring out, we'll be doing a virtual show again in February, Mm -hmm. you know, figuring out ways that we can improve the the tech side of things for for this type of this type of format so it's definitely been a learning process Um, but again just kind of leaning into it and looking at okay what can we do with these tools Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know how can we make a virtual zoom show still as engaging and exciting as an in-person show might be you know, I really tried to impress upon everyone like, don't think about it like we're producing a play, but think about it almost like we're producing a television show.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, just everyone shooting at home. Um, so lots of again being flexible and being adaptable.
0: And. Uh, in preparing for this interview, I found out you actually have experience in TV and film. So um, that was really fun to just see all the things you have done. So can you talk a little bit about your um, television and film appearances and how they differ from your theater ones?
1: Sure. Yeah. Like I said, before I came here, I had been in New York and uh, had really kind of shifted my focus. I grew up doing theater and doing theater all through college. But once I got to the city, really kind of shifted my focus after the first couple of years to TV and film. Um, and did a lot of, kind of started out doing a lot of commercial work and then kind of built up and was doing more film and TV work and got to work on some really great shows um, with some, you know, really wonderful actors and celebrities. And, you know, not that that matters, but it's still kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, like so yeah I got to work on shows like Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and Law and Order and Bull and The Blacklist and uh, The Deuce Um, and it was all it was all a lot of fun Um, you know and it's 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 really just a completely different medium than theater Mm -hmm. like there are core tenants that are applicable to both as far as your skills as an actor um, and the tools that you need as an actor as far as like creating your character and telling a story and creating your backstory and all that but it's it's just a completely different medium um Mm -hmm. and you know i had to learn a whole new set of skills and you know took lots of classes and did workshops and did student films and all sorts of things to try to get that experience of acting in front of a camera, um, because when a camera is, you right. know, three feet three feet away from you versus playing to a house of four hundred people, it's just a different a different way to tell a story.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you have any good stories of you know being on set and meeting different celebrities or anything like that?
1: Uh, yeah, it w- I mean, it was definitely really exciting to work on Marvelous Mrs. Maisel just because I love that show Mm -hmm. Um, and the scene I did was with Alex Borstein who ended up like the season that I worked on she ended up winning the Emmy for that season and the cast won a SAG award for best ensemble so there was that little bit of like I was a part of that Mm -hmm. you know it's not like I won an Emmy you're right. But I worked with the person who did win the Emmy. <laughs> so that, you know, those are kind of neat little feathers in your hat. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really cool to work with Maggie Gyllenhaal and David Crumholtz on the deuce. Um, like there's some people who just walk in a room and you're like, yeah, you're a movie star. And you just, they just have that presence. And mm-hmm. for me, Maggie Gyllenhaal was certainly one of those people Um but they were both just so kind and so generous and so great to work with. And we had a really fun day on set. Um, I'm trying to think of some other, Oh, my favorite person, mm-hmm. my f- Paul Sparks. And he's done, I don't know that he's quite a ho- household name, but he had a big role on house of cards and in the greatest showman. Mm-hmm. Um, And I was, doing a show called Sweet Bitter, which was on, I think, S.T.A.R.S. And we didn't actually really do a scene together, but we were hanging out, you know, offset quite a bit just in our little our little actor chairs Um, and was just such a like down to earth kind of salt of the earth actor. And we just had these really great conversations about building an acting career and you know, him talking about his career and he's like, I remember being where you are you are, and that's the hardest time when you're just kind of starting to get into this world and mm-hmm. it seems like it's never going to go anywhere, but you just stick with it. Like he was just very supportive and recognized you as, for what you were doing and mm-hmm. what you were trying to do. And like, hey, I've been there, I get it. You know, and then there are some celebs who, are into being the celebrity right. and <laughs> if you're not on their level, so you don't really exist, but th- that's a story for a different time.
0: <laughs> so what advice would you give to uh, someone looking to transition into like a TV and film type of world?
1: Uh, get in with other filmmakers, you know, get involved in, in making films and just get that experience in front of a camera and, um, And taking classes, you know, there's tons of opportunities for for being on camera, Mm -hmm. you know, from commercials to, like I said, student films. I know there's a pretty vibrant Iowa film community uh, on Facebook, getting involved in that kind of stuff and just getting that practice. I mean, eventually you need to go to one of the major markets Mm -hmm. if you really want to, to make a career in that and whether that's New York or LA or Atlanta, um, you know, those are where the the film hotspots are. Mm -hmm. And so, but just getting that, getting that practice of learning the difference between theater and film and the difference in your techniques.
0: Great. So you were in New York post-grad. What was it like, you know, kind of just starting out for not being in school for the first time and just living your life in New York?
1: Uh, it would. It was great. I love New York, and there's an energy there that there is not anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely the the pace of life of everything is just faster, and so there's for me there was definitely a period of just kind of learning to live at that higher frequency. Um, and that higher speed of life. Um, And it's a big city and you've gotta deal with learning the subway systems and learning your way around the city and how to get places. And so there's, I remember, like every few months I would, something else would click with the way I either viewed the city or the way I got around the city. And I'd think like, oh, I've got it, I've got it now. And then, like six months later, you'd look back and be like, "Oh no, I didn't have it then." <laughs> so, I mean, it definitely took a couple years to just adjust to being in the city
0: mm-hmm.
1: before I really felt like, "Okay, I've got a handle on just the basics of survival here." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and monetarily, it's such a different scale that you're you're working with, right? Um, you know, so figuring out as an actor, especially like, how can I pursue my career and find those day jobs and side gigs that will give me the flexibility to still pursue my career, but also be financially stable enough that I can survive and, pay my $2,000 a month. (laughs) rent.
0: What kind of jobs did you have that were like your little side gigs, you know?
1: Yeah, I did. I did a bunch of different stuff. Um, You know, I certainly did the, the waiting tables, stereotype and catering. Mm -hmm. I managed a restaurant for several years, um, which was actually real, a really great situation. Um, because it allowed me to just kind of work at night and have my evenings free to, Mm -hmm. or my afternoons and daytimes free to audition. Um, I worked at the drama bookshop for about three years, uh, which, is currently closed but has been kind of a stable of the New York theater community for over a hundred years. Mm-hmm. And again, when, when I was at the drama bookshop, we won a special, special recognition Tony award. Ooh. So there is kind of like the Emmy, a little like, yeah. whoa, I'm kind of part of winning a Tony. Awesome. <laughs> um, I worked there uh, for, for three years. I worked at, uh, in the administration office of a off-off Broadway theater called mm-hmm. the Metropolitan Playhouse. I worked there for a little bit and kind of jobbed in it now to there on and off. And I did real estate for six or eight months, renting apartments. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then the last two to three years I was there, I was really making a living just acting, nice. which was great. Yeah. Which was amazing. It's the dream. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, also in preparing for this interview, I discovered that you have a lot of fun facts that not many people know about. So, um, you like painting, photography, and cycling. Can you tell us about those hobbies and any other hobbies or talents we might not know you have?
1: Sure. Um, I've I've always loved riding bikes from when I was a kid, and like right after high school, I did kind of. I wasn't very good but like started to get into the the mountain biking race circuit um, mm-hmm. and did that for a little bit. And then when I got into college, just kind of fell out of that. And then when I moved to New York, got back into biking. Um, and it was a whole new way to see the city, um, to ride around the city, rather than being stuck underground in the subways. And mm-hmm. I just completely fell in love with with cycling again um so for the last probably the last half of the time i was in new york i rode bikes almost everywhere and then when they got the city bike program which is you know a bike rental Mm
0: -hmm.
1: docking stations that kind of thing i did that all the time and it's just you know it was a way in new york to have a bit of solitude Mm -hmm. because you know when you're with eight and a half million other people uh, kind of being able to be on a bike and not have anyone else around you. And there were definitely uh, some close calls uh, riding in and out of traffic, but it was, it was fun and kind of a thrill. So uh, I love that. Um, And then, yeah, I used to, I painted, when I was in college, I painted houses in the summers for, for money and did a bunch of like faux finishing and so really kind of that started my love for painting um and again like picked that up again several years ago um and do mostly oil painting now um and i just finished recently uh, a picture of my grandfather and i'm doing a portrait of my grandmother right now so Uh, It's very relaxing to me, Mm -hmm. like just kind of this sort of zen, zen moment where it's just you and the paint and the canvas and Mm -hmm. trying to see how things go. Um, And then, yeah, photography. Photography happened because so much of the acting world has gone digital in terms of auditions and things. Mm -hmm. So... I was having to do more and more self-tapes for auditions. Um, And so I used, like I'd booked a commercial spot and used the money from that to like buy a good camera to do my self-tapes with, and then just kind of started doing photography because I had the camera.
0: Right. Um,
1: And like, I I love travel photography you know, and going places and taking pictures. I really like portraiture as well. Uh I actually did side hustle some headshot photography when I was in New York as well. Um, That was another side job I did for a little bit. Uh Um, But yeah, they're all just things that help me to relax and kind of keep me creative in, in a different way than just doing theater and the fun fact that maybe no one knows or the fun thing that no one knows about is i also play harmonica
0: wow (laughs) that'll be a fun one for people to hear they will (laughs) so another fun fact i found out about you is that you yearly um have a role in a christmas carol that you play um bob cratchit So do you have like a favorite line of his? I'm sure you, you know, have it all in there. Is there any that just kind of pop up from time to time in your head?
1: Uh, There's tons. I've I've done it for the last three years, and this Mm -hmm. year we're doing a virtual production of it. Um, But I typically do it at the Arrow Rock Lyceum Theater in Arrow Rock, Missouri, which is just this magical tiny town of 56 people that has a 400-seat equity theater there and people come from hours around to see the shows. And it's just this really wonderful place. Uh, And it's been great playing Bob Cratchit, like just the spirit of A Christmas Carol, and then there's just a magic to that story. So it's really great to be able to tell that story every year. As far as favorite lines, Oh, I don't know if there's a favorite line, but there is there's the little phrase when he brings Tiny Tim home and Mrs. Cratchit is asking about how he how Tim behaved in church. And Bob Cratchit says, as good as good as good as gold and better. But somehow he gets thoughtful sitting by himself so much and thinks it's the strangest things you ever heard. He told me coming home that he hoped the people saw him in the church because he was a cripple and it might be pleasant for them to remember who made blind men walk, uh, who made lame men walk and blind men see. But he's growing stronger, yes, stronger every day. And it's just kind of this great reminder uh, for me of like, here's this, here's a little tiny, poor little tiny Tim. And is always thinking about other people Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and how he can be an example and an inspiration for them. And it's just a great reminder of like to get your head outside of yourself Mm -hmm. um, and think about and try to help other people.
0: Awesome. Is that um, virtual one you're doing this year? Is that going to be available? Like how will that be available to people to watch?
1: They are, uh, they're selling tickets. It's December 22nd and 23rd. um, And it's fun because typically with Christmas Carol, there's a local restaurant in town that does a big Victorian Christmas dinner. Mm -hmm. Um, And because they can't do that this year, they're combining it and like sending out recipes with the hopes that like, people will make this Victorian dinner and have the Victorian dinner and watch Christmas carol, Mm -hmm. um, watch our virtual Christmas carol. So, but you can get tickets on the Lyceum website. Awesome. Yeah.
0: Um, so I guess back to junior theater, I know it's hard to look into the future right now because, you know, we don't know what's going to happen a month from now, let alone years from now, but um, ideally how do you see junior theater growing in the next three to five years?
1: The couple things that I've really wanted to focus on coming into my time as artistic director, were growing our tech program, mm-hmm.
0: uh,
1: and also growing our, our performance program as far as, like right now we typically do three main stages, but I would love at some point to get kind of, either get a secondary space, or create some kind of a secondary space on campus where we could mm-hmm. do some smaller scale productions. Uh, you know, kind of a small black box space where we could do smaller cast shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really try to push the students to create their own work. That was one thing that I was really proud of with Snow White Two Point Zoom, our first show, was that we had a student written play involved. Uh, Our students were very active in creating a big chunk of the script of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so really kind of empowering our students to be creators uh, more so than just, here's the play, you're going to act in it.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, But really creating theater that is personal to them, you know, whether it's as a writer or a you know, direct actor, creator, Mm -hmm. collaborator, but really kind of pushing them to to be creators. Mm
0: -hmm. So I have one last question for you, and that would be what has been your favorite part of becoming part of the Junior Theater family?
1: Uh, Definitely my favorite part is getting to know the kids. Um, You know, we have a great team all around who I really love working with. Um, But getting to see the kids grow and getting to see them, you know, sometimes make choices that surprise them and they didn't know, Oh, I did that. That was really cool. (laughs) Um, But just seeing them grow and seeing them, you know, you you take a chance on a kid, giving them a role in a show and then watching them blossom into that role Um, and getting to, watch how that gives them confidence, you know, whether it's in performance or socially, but seeing that blossoming of the kids is really exciting.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Um, Yeah. Thank you you for having me, Emma. Of course. I think we learned a lot about you that people don't really know. So I'm excited to, you know, get it out there.
1: <laughs> well, I'm excited for it to be out there. And thanks so much for doing this.
0: Great. Thank you. This has been another episode of the Davenport Junior Theatre Podcast. Thanks for listening.